Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Heat Podcast. I am your host, Blaine Ward, and today we are talking about arguably one of the greats. Um, Martin Scorsese has a new movie out in theaters, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, another three and a half hour epic from the god of cinema himself. Uh, and here with me today to talk about uh, Grandfather Marty, uh, my buddy Brent. Brent, how are you, man? Good to have you back on the pod. I, I'm doing good. I feel like it hasn't been terribly too long, but I, I love coming back and, and doing these director episodes. Yeah, you really, you know, we did Fincher, we did Man, and I feel like Scorsese is our next... Uh, a good, a next good target it, to hit. It'd be odd if I if if I didn't join you first, Scorsese. Exactly. Um. Now, big question here, but you know, I think it's kind of what we have to start off. Uh, what does Martin Scorsese mean to you in this day and age? Oh, that's a good question. I I would say in terms of, um, he's not my one or two like favorite directors, but I would say in terms of what he meant to cinema like i'm very aware of that i i know the presence that he has in the stamp and and i think when i the first thing that comes to mind when i think of De Niro is not just how great of a director he is and like the truth he brings to his storytelling but it's also a mix with like you can't have scorsese without robert De Niro. i i I personally like i mean they have such a collaboration that is untouched and it's it's amazing that we're still here after what 50 10 films 50 years that they talked about with uh the latest release and you kind of hope that it just keeps going, but you know you're more on the end of that ride than at the beginning of it, and it's it's a treat. It really is, and I th- think I read something about how they were they knew each other when they were very young, and so it just kind of worked out that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to put words um, that so many others have put better, but it like he, uh, when I think of him, weirdly enough, I think of his versatility uh, first and foremost, now, obviously, he gets attached to kind of, oh, he he only makes gangster movies, and sure, like, a lot yeah. of his movies involve the mob, or, you know, um, people getting whacked, uh, but you look at kind of his range of work that we're about to do, and there's just a lot of, like, different genre pictures going on here, you know, like, yes, you have your gangster mob epics, but you also have, like, deeply spiritual films, you have psychological thrillers, you have, like, full-on kind of absurd comedies, you have sort of paranormal, you know, like, sorry, um, like, psycho, uh, mm-hmm. psycho thrillers and stuff like yeah. that, but, like, in even he even like played his hand in a romantic drama. Like he's he's very versatile. Um, to a credit that I don't think most people are giving him, and especially at this age in his career, like there like are arguably no directors that are as consistent as he is this far into his age. Because you think about the greats, right? You think about Coppola. You think about George Lucas. You think about um those guys that kind of grew up with Scorsese. And I feel like you know I, I, we'll have to see how Megalopolis turns out, but like you know, they kind of fallen off in a certain sense. And Scorsese is still here, like delivering like these kind of, um, you know, like monolithic ethics of sorts. He brings like with how we've grown with cinema and just, and I mean, not just, it's, it's not our fault. It's just the way the, uh, I guess you could say the entertainment business has turned, but it's all generated based upon IP and what that means for box office and studios is numbers and money. And for some reason, like Scorsese doesn't have to have a lot of that behind him. And he's been very vocal about the superhero genre. But like he has a sense of like an IP to his name 
with whatever film he's making. And like you said, he's been across the board in all kinds of genres. And that's an impressive filmmaker to have. I mean, be to be able to, like you said, he's known for gangsters. But like you'd be surprised to see the other films that he's done. And like when I was making my notes, I was like, this seems like a director that another director that would do this. And like I'll I'll mention more of that when we get there. But it's a surprise to see what he's done. And and I and I think when it's all said and like he he's came out and he said, like, I, I got two left, possibly. And I just, you know, you you kind of want to enjoy all that. And I think a lot of people did this weekend with his latest film. Absolutely. Yeah. Um I and like, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about the um the controversy, but all I'll say is like regarding Scorsese's comments on Marvel movies or something, just look at his filmography. And tell me that he can't say anything, all right? Just tell me that he can't talk shit on anyone else when you see mm-hmm. his body at work. Um, it's It's been a lot of, like, Scorsese's maybe ninth, tenth film is better than a lot of directors. And I was going to say, like, his 15th best film is better than, like, 90% of other directors' it's, efforts out it, there. I mean, it it was uh, – because I joked with you when we, were, uh, when we were first planning this episode, and I was like, I can't wait till we get to the Rooster Brothers pod because oh, of Jesus. their generational talent. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, if the gray man is anything to go by, we're in good hands, good hands. Um, mm. But yeah, I, you know, and obviously he's kind of not only is he this iconic director, but he's also like really kind of had a hold in film preservation. You know, like a lot of his work has been oh, yes. to try and grab like to hold on to this cinema like as an art form um, in regards to like, you know, preservation, like keeping friends, keeping, you know, making sure things get releases. And I, I just think he deserves all the credit that's going to him. Um, and obviously, you know, maybe his movies aren't your speed. It's certainly understandable. Um, but like, you can't deny uh, how much he's impacted, not only like the movies themselves, but also his role in it and making sure like he's just trying to pave the way so that we're not lost when he eventually departs us, you know? And there's, there's some kind of like thing that I was discovering as I was rewatching a lot of his films the last month. And, and I, I could kind of, I, I kind of want to save it when we kind of go into our more wrap up summary and whatnot, but I was kind of fascinating the tone that he's kind of always been able to deliver. And it's re- regardless of De Niro, DiCaprio, I mean, whoever he has working with them, it is, it's, it's really good, really good stuff. Absolutely. Um, so we have a lot of movies to talk about. So what we're going to do here is we're going to do a huge retrospective on uh, good old Marty's movies. Um, and then when we get to Killers, we'll have a much longer conversation. We'll close this out with our uh, top 10 um, of his movies. So uh, without further ado, I'd say we should jump right into it. Um, so uh, in the late 60s, he did uh, his kind of big directorial debut um, was called Who's Not Knocking at My Door. Uh, apparently it's a romantic drama. I have not seen this. Have you seen this? I have not. This this is one with Harvey Keitel, I believe. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it sets up his relationship <laughs> with Harvey Keitel, which is that's great. one thing I f- I forgot to mention too. Is like he he's worked with Keitel awfully a lot and kind of you know introduced him or us to him to say the least before he got attached to a lot of the Quentin Tarantino projects. Yeah, I, I and think I mean, Keitel is is a fantastic actor. I just we never really saw much of it to be to kind of put him in that tier. Yeah, and I mean, you know, our, like most people when, and we'll get to this later, but when you look at The Irishman, most people are talking about, wow, De Niro, Pesci, um, and Pacino, but like, they got Keitel in there for, you know, a good 20 minutes to hang, um, and I think that's arguably just as worthy as uh, the other kind of, look, Marty's brought him back, um, 
But yeah, so I haven't seen that one. And then this next movie in the 70s is called Boxcar Bertha. Um, and I heard this was not very good, so I did not check it out. Um, have you seen Boxcar Bertha? I, I, have, I can't even say I knew what it was. Well, we learn something new every day. Uh, this one, however, I think is more popular. Uh, 1973, he comes out with Mean Streets. Um, this is De Niro. This is Keitel. Uh, and I think the thing about Mean Streets is this kind of introduces a lot of the Scorsese hallmarks, um, where whether it's like, you know, working within the mob, like uh, kind of friendships uh, um, and rivalry among, you know, male figures, as well as sort of this Catholic guilt that Marty feels that he puts into a lot of his movies. Um, this is not my favorite Scorsese, not by a long shot, but, you know, I, I think with all great directors, you kind of see the DNA of his work very clearly in this movie. Um, and you got to respect it, I guess. Yeah, we we talked about this one at, at the top here, but like, I... I... This is a blind spot for me, and and I'm aware of that. Uh, but yet you for uh, the Criterion Collection, which is they've done very well with Scorsese. Uh, they're going to release this, and I think that's when I'm going to finally just tackle down on it and and get to see that for the first time. Absolutely. Um, and then in '74, the we have Alice doesn't live here anymore. This is with Ellen Bernstein and Chris Christopherson. Uh, Cartel is back in this as well. Um. But this is kind of, you know, it's a it's a kind of black sheep in Scorsese filmography. Not because it's bad, not at all, but this is like a very kind of slice of life um, drama about kind of a mother and her son and her looking to find love. Um, it's really, you know, it's a very cute movie. Um, Ellen Bernstein's phenomenal. Like, when has she ever not been, really? Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I found this one very cute. Um and this is the only Scorsese movie with like a female protagonist, which also kind of sets it um, separate from his other stuff. He, yeah, I was reading a lot about about that with the, a lot of his films coming up. But I mean, this this film, I have not seen it, but I'm aware that of Ellen Burstein's power. I mean, she won Best Actress for this. And it kind of strange how Scorsese kind of stepped more away from the women roles and whatnot in his storytelling. But I mean, this this has been on my list. I'm aware of like how um surprising it is for Scorsese to do a film like this and it's one of those where you can't like turn your eye on and unfortunately I have <laughs> yeah it's all good it's all good well we've all seen this next one uh in 1976 we have Taxi Driver um oh boy <laughs> we, I mean how much uh, time do we have <laughs> I was gonna say um you know out of all these movies this is the one that um makes me feel like I need to take a long shower afterwards yeah. This movie makes me feel grimy and disgusting. Um, now, obviously, I think this movie kind of had a, uh, a huge kind of, uh, not reappraisal, but uh, like a rewatch around 2019, what with Joker and everything. But I don't know, man. Like, just look at how New York is shot in this, where it's very, like, it looks like the most disgusting place on Earth. It looks like hell. You know, one of the shots that you think of is, like, the taxi coming out of the smoke. Um and it's just, it, it, it's iconic. It's an incredible, uh, and that saxophone score has always like mm -hmm. lingered in my head. The De Niro performance is unbelievable. Like already etched into iconography as it is. Um, you still watch it and you're just in awe um, of what he's capable of in that movie. Yeah, the, um, I would say this is probably, the this is the role that if Robert De Niro doesn't like, really make it something and like bring something to the character that we've become to know the, you know, are you talking to me? I, I don't think it'd be as, as stamped like, this is great. 
you have Scorsese directing it, and it really kind of puts his notice, I would say, in Hollywood with Scorsese, uh, with De Niro. But it's also written by Paul Schrader, or yeah, Paul Schrader. Yeah, and like it kind of really shows you this the the dark and menacing parts of our society where you know when we force someone out, like what does it do to them when they try to fight their way back in? And like you said, this has a lot of impersonations towards the Joker film that came out. Um, I mean, the influence with that and other films itself in terms of a character study. I mean, Robert De Niro really takes himself deep into this film and it's, it's not easy to watch, but like when you finish getting through it, you're kind of like this, this is, they don't make them like they used to kind of film, you know, <laughs> this, this kind of stuff gets really hard to do. And and I think De Niro is, it's amazing to see him and go through this. And then what you seem to know from him afterwards is, is awesome. Yeah. I mean, and, and the weird thing is, is like, and you know, I think this movie is a near masterpiece. The weird thing is, is I'm not um all that into it by the time Jodie Foster shows up, and she's incredible um in this movie. But even the fact that I don't necessarily care for like the last ten minutes of this, the feeling it gives me throughout, like, I I I have not there's not a ton of other movies that make me feel the specific way that this does. Um, he takes he takes the um, this this also has uh. Robert Brooks in it, which I find yeah. pretty funny, and, and Sybil Shepherd, and he took Sybil on a date to like this just porn show, and he was completely fine with it, and she becomes very disturbed, and it's like our first introduction into like he's calm in his world, but anytime he brings someone into it, it's destruction, and and in terms of how we are with society, th- th- you can draw similarities, and I think that's what this film, even to this day, this came out in 1976, and we still have conversations about it. It's amazing. Yeah. Um. And then, okay, so real quick note. I This is kind of random. Does Sybil Shepherd in this movie, does she look like Brie Larson to you? I, I, I She kind of looks like Brie Larson to me a little bit. That, I mean, that's not a horrible... She's beautiful, and it's not yeah. a horrible uh, connection, to say the least. But, I mean, I, I could kind of, you know, I could I could see that for sure. I, rec- I did re- watch this earlier this year, and it kind of like, you know, you would think that that role could have gone to someone differently, I guess. But no, it was... I mean, Sybil might forget like Sybil Shepherd was a big part in Hollywood, but she just didn't have too many roles to do with that. Yeah. I also just think that the commentary of this is pretty fascinating. Obviously, it's dealing with, you know, kind of the post Vietnam War and what that does to people. Um, And I feel I still feel like those themes are as relevant today as they are um, back in 76 when this came out. And obviously, like, you know, people were uh, (laughs) kind of. Uh, worrying that this would like inspire um you know radical thinking um and you know we might have had that a little bit last year with uh not last year but 2019 with joker um but you know the fact that it's as powerful as it is today um again speaks volumes so um great movie i need to take a shower uh so weirdly after that he bumps to uh like kind of his musical um i guess new york new york with Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro. Have you seen this one? I've not. I, I heard that this is the one where De Niro just walks around with a saxophone the whole time. That rocks. Dudes rock, yeah. and that's what I aspire to be. Um, I've not seen this, but I love Liza Minnelli, so um, I might have to give this one a go. Uh, 163 minutes, Jesus. Well, yeah, it checks I, out. That's... But it's interesting that he made that after Taxi Driver. He's like, all right, I've reached mm-hmm. the depths of humanity. Time to you know turn it to uh, something completely different. Um, anyway, so after that, we have, uh, The Last Waltz, his documentary with the band. I have not seen this, however, this is on my, like, I need to see this relatively soon. Have you seen The Last Waltz? 
I have not, but the I've I've with the release of Scorsese, I've been seeing so many people kind of like wearing shirts that represent films from his filmography, and I caught a couple of the last waltz, and I'm like, that's that's really cool. That's that's neat. But I have I've he does a lot of these musical documentaries, and I just haven't really seen them. Yeah. Um. So after '78, he does Raging Bull in 1980. Uh. Once again, teaming up with De Niro. Uh, his first collaboration with Pesci. Um, and I, listen, you know, De Niro is the first thing you got to say about this, the physical performance. Uh, it is an unrecognizable De Niro performance, at least in my eyes. Um, he's so nasty and insecure and monstrous, and it only becomes more so as the film goes on. And it's just like brutal physical transformation. Um Arguably just as kind of uncomfortable as Taxi Driver, in my opinion, if not more so. Um, just seeing kind of the spiral that this guy goes down. Uh, but, you know, in film classes, they teach you, you know, they bring up the boxing matches in this, and it is so unbelievably well shot. The black and white cinematography is just unbelievably stunning. That's one of the cool things about this is that the the parts that are not just black and white, but the sh the shots of in the scenes of the boxing, like you wouldn't think that this is the closest Corsese comes to a sports film, to say the least, and I mean, better sport for him to direct than boxing because, like, you don't require too much and the attention to detail that you have to be able to do, he knocks it out of the park. And then when you get a performance like Robert De Niro in this, like, it, it's incredible. And the true life story of, of Jake LaMotta, like, it's it brings in that hope, but at the same time, you learn about how he has this just jealous rage that consumes him and everything that comes close to him, he, he feels like there's there's nothing there and all he's in the ending is so sad. Like yeah. it's, it, I think that's one of my favorite parts about it was just all the relationships he had, especially, you know, Joe Pesci, like you said, the first collaboration they've had and what they do to go forward with this. I mean, it's, it's sad what, you know, you had all this at the top and then at the end, you're just kind of like left there with no one and a little hint of what Scorsese comes to do. Yeah. So this is also uh, Scorsese's second collaboration with Paul Schrader as well. Um, you know, a lot of similar tissues, the American male and uh, his insecurities and downfall, mm -hmm. you know, similar, um, you know, wavelengths going on there. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's fascinating because I go from, you know, those boxing scenes, which are so visceral and like, you know, you think of a boxing thing. Uh, scene you think of like you know your Rockies and you mm -hmm. think in your head and you're like all right there's really only one way to shoot a boxing scene and then again even today you look at those boxing scenes and you're like wow the stuff he was able to accomplish the way you feel the punch in the mm -hmm. edit um it's unbelievable stuff and I mean you you know I guess I'd be remiss if not to mention uh his longtime editor Thelma Schoonmaker um who's like been with him for almost every single movie that he's done uh, her work in this is unbelievable. And I think she said that this is her favorite film of his uh, that he's done. So, you know, That's shout cool. out to Thelma. I was just going to say, I mean, it's it's a it's one of those films that might turn people away when you don't like there's not a lot of boxing in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think that should be like, well, I'm going to turn it off like that. You got to sit through and watch it because you're seeing one of the best performances. This is De Niro one best actor for this. And like that that got to mean something you know and and it's remarkable how he's able to to turn everything that that scorsese wants yeah 100 percent, 100 uh so then two years later you know is the king of comedy um a movie that was kind of you know not met with the best uh 
reviews when it came out, but I think this is one of his that's kind of aged well over time. Um, now, you know, a lot of people were saying that Joker kind of rips off Taxi Driver. I would arguably say this is the one that uh, Joker is trying to emulate, maybe a bit more. Um, and again, man, De Niro, this, this is one of my personal favorite De Niro performances because he's so, like, unrelenting in what he wants. Like, he plays this kind of aspiring stand-up comedian who wants to be uh, on this talk show hosted by Jerry Lewis, who's also incredible in the movie. Um, and the way he, like, will go so far to get what he wants to the point where it's like, I don't know, just the, like, the social interactions that he has make me, who already has enough social anxiety as it is, like, break out into hives over what he's doing in this movie. Um, I think the satire is spot on about celebrity culture. Um, and, you know, even with, like, kind of the incel mindset that Taxi Driver is working on, I feel like this office uh, is obviously working with, too. And this is one of my, like, the one, like you talk about Scorsese endings, I feel like the last 10 minutes of some of this is just a stone-cold knockout. Um, however, way you see fit. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of this film, I, I recently watched this for the first time earlier this year. And I definitely, like you said, the similarities and the influence that the Joker has from this one is it, it's not I don't think it's it's a tame thing. Like, I don't think it's bad to do that, um, especially when the people that were involved. But what, what Scorsese does in this film is that instead of getting a lot of and De Niro's performance is great. But like we're only kind of seeing from his point of view, like a lot of the reactions that we see from other people around him in Taxi Driver and previous films, you don't really have that in this one. Like when he's imagining himself on the talk show, you're only really seeing him. And yeah. and I think how he delivers that throughout the entire runtime, like the it's not a long film at all. There's no length involved with this. And so like being able to do that in such a short turn, it's I think that's fantastic. And I it might not be like you know, laugh out loud because it has the word comedy in it. But I think what they're trying to do here in the showcase of like, this is our way of showing comedy where this guy just doesn't get it, you know, in some smaller world and sense, but it's, it's great. I mean, De Niro really makes a, makes a performance worth living. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, and the other impressive thing that I think, uh, this movie does really well is you can tell that, like um Rupert Pumpkin Pumpkin, the guy that uh, De Niro plays, you can tell he's like almost has it like as a comedian because he does his like a set at the end and he's doing a fine job, but you can tell that he's not quite at that great level. And I think the fact that the um that the movie kind of gives you you know, a sense of he's talented, but he's, he doesn't have that it factor. I think it's just a brilliant piece in this whole um, puzzle that Scorsese's working with. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just one of those that it was ahead of its time. Um, you know, I think if you look at it now, a lot of people call it uh, one of his best. And, you know, I'm certainly not opposed to that uh, statement. But it is crazy because back then people were not a fan of it. Um, yeah, I was but... going to say it, it. it didn't receive any Oscar nominations. It didn't really do too terribly well with the box office i i think this is one of those things like you said ahead of its time but now it's like you landed on a gold mine you know like you find out later on that you just had this prized possession and i think that's special yeah absolutely any any other uh i think any other you know like director would be dreaming to have a project like this and the fact that scorsese was able to to have that just really sh shows you more of what he's capable of going forward and i mean we haven't even like talked about it but i'm I, if i'm not mistaken like He's really Scorsese's young when he's directing these films. Like yeah. 40, yeah. So born in 42. So he's only 40 when he's making this. Like that's remarkable. It yeah, really and the is. fact that he's already had like stone cold classics necessarily. Yes. Unbelievable. She, I mean, the guy invented Mount Rushmore, if you ask me. That's right. That's right.
Um, and then, so moving on, uh, 85, we have After Hours, um, arguably kind of his absurdist comedy. Um, I love the energy in this movie. Uh, it's kind of this madcap, like anything that can go wrong does go wrong. Um, just a cautionary tale uh, to go to bed before midnight, which, you know, I think we should all learn from. Um, I don't know. I think this movie's a riot. Uh, it it kind of has a different, you know, going from King of Comedy, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver to this. Um, it's kind of a breath of fresh air in some cases yeah. because, sure, this movie's dealing with, you know, our character does get put through the ringer, but you're supposed to be laughing at this guy. He's pathetic. He's an idiot. Um, you know, you're not supposed to like him. Uh, compared to the other ones where you're like, oh no, this guy's a psych psychopath. This one's like, no, this guy, this guy's just a fool. Um. And I don't know, just seeing the madcap events of uh, how bad his night can go is um, fascinating in this movie. I, I remember watching this uh, a couple years ago for the first time, and, and I thought it, this was like that cinematic blind spot I had discovered during COVID. And I thought this was fascinating, you know, a 24-hour, you know, juggernaut of, of, of race, it feels like, but it doesn't have to be. And and I think what shocks me the most out of this is like Griffin Dunn wasn't as big as I thought he should be. Like, I've yeah. this. I look at his, you know, filmography and, you know, I'm very familiar with him from, from the TV show, This Is Us. And I'm just kind of wondering why he wasn't that big at the time. And while I'm also thinking that, I'm also thinking, you know, this feels like a Mel Brooks or a Rob Reiner directed something of the, with the time it is, but it's not like, this is, those are showing once again, the talent that Scorsese has and like why we're here having this conversation. And one, one perfect example of this movie, cause like it's one you don't want to spoil because it does so many weird things and there's so many you know, like like Cheech and Chon pop up. There's Will yeah. Patton. There's Catherine O'Hara, John Hurt. Like so many that people, you know. But like this movie zigs when you think it zags. This movie zags when you think it zigs. And I think that's really cool. And it's a classic. And this might be like one of those next like criterion collection purposes that I just venture on. Yeah, Um. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so after 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 hours, uh, the next year in 86 we have the color of money so this one's interesting because in our um you know in our world of the legacy sequel and ip this is technically his ip movie yeah. um this is sort of a sequel to um paul newman's uh it's not it's called the hustler thank you i was gonna say the gambler that's not right the hustler um and this follows uh paul newman's character fast eddie uh as he takes on an apprentice um vincent played by none other than, uh, you know, arguably father of movies right now, Tom Cruise. So we had the grandfather of movies starring the father of movies. Um, and I don't know. I, I think this movie is very entertaining. Uh, again, like you were saying earlier, you maybe you could call Raging Bull a sports film. I think this one could also maybe fall under yeah, that category. Um, again, just the editing in the pool sequences, um, my mind immediately shifts to the werewolves in London, um, needle drop. And I think that goes to show, obviously we'll get into this later, but Scorsese is a master of knowing when the right time is to drop the perfect song, uh, in the moment. Um, and boy, if this doesn't want me to make me go play pool right now, I don't know what else will. What, what's, what's fascinating about this film is like, this is the only time we got the trio of Cruz, Newman, and Scorsese. Like, why wasn't this like a touchstone representation of the nineties. Like, yeah, I, I think that could have been something real special. Uh, this, this film got, you know, Paul Newman, his, his one and only Oscar for like, you know, the career achievement kind of thing. And, and I, and I think this film was fun. Like you get a young Tom Cruise going up against one of the legendary actors in Hollywood. And Scorsese is just taking you on this ride of like, you know, 
what pool hustling is. And, you know, it's, it's a tough life and it's full of crime. And I think Scorsese is the best one to capture that. It's fun. It, it yeah. Is fun. Well, and I, I also think uh, Scorsese does a good job where unlike most um IP, you know, quote unquote IP movies, you don't need to do a scene uh, the first one in order to get this one. Like, I feel like it's a pretty standalone experience. Um, It's obviously amplified if you've seen the first one, but, you know, I think you can just drop right in and just get taken on the ride uh, that this goes on. And again, like just seeing uh, Tom Cruise under Scorsese's wing, like, you know, um, we've talked about Tom Cruise so many times, but the fact that he was able to work with so many like directorial greats, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, your Martin Scorsese's, um, Ridley Scott, like the, the fact that he was able to knock all those out just shows his dedication to the craft, obviously. Uh, and so after Color of Money, we have um, Last Temptation of Christ. So this also... Uh, reunite Scorsese with Paul Schrader. And I gotta be honest with you, I think this movie kind of whips. Um, <laughs> obviously, I, I think this one was met with the most uh, I, I controversy when it came out. Um, a lot of people were not happy with uh, the directions they took the story of Jesus in this one. But man, oh man, uh, I really like this movie. Have you seen Last Temptation? I, I have not seen this one. I, okay. I don't even know if I've ever caught it streaming. Like, okay. I just I find this one hard to to come by that's fair there is a criterion of it um if that pushes you to do it but uh i guess i'll just speak my piece on this really quickly um william defoe is jesus a brilliant brilliant piece of casting harvey Keitel mm-hmm. is judas not a good piece of casting oh. um and you know you gotta love Keitel, but him doing uh, a new york accent in biblical times it just doesn't you have a lot of questions walking out of there um but you know this is basically like the first telling of like what religion means to scorsese and like the importance of it that it has on him and the influences that he goes to show forward with it and so like that that's really nice that he was able to like you know make something like this yeah well and i think um i was doing some research on scorsese and i believe this is correct but i think like if he didn't go into movies he was like looking to become a priest and i think you can kind of tell these religious tones from a lot of his movies even you know, dating far back as to Mean Streets. I feel like this one, obviously, it's overtly religious. Um, but I don't know, man. Uh, this is also one of those where, um, you know, I, not to spoil anything, but if you've seen The Green Knight, uh, it kind of has a similar third act to The Green Knight in a sense where, um, you know, it's sort of a kind of look what could have happened uh, vibe to it that I just adore. Um, Damn. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. See, I'm convincing you already. Um but it's really good. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy it. Obviously, it came with controversy. They're all idiots. But, um, you know, there's certainly some off-putting choices in this. But I don't know, man. I, I thoroughly appreciate it. Um, and then just booming straight into the 90s. Uh, Goodfellas. Like, what do you oh, say? There, this movie This movie wasn't that good. We can skip it. Yeah, actually, you know, let's, let's move forward. Um, what do you say? You know what I mean? Like, this is kind of one of the, I mean, obviously. What do we say that hasn't most- been said? Well, it's like, this is the most iconic, one of the most iconic movies of the 90s, one of the most iconic movies, period. Um, aside from The Godfather, maybe the greatest mob movie ever made. Uh, I I would say this is very close to being the biggest fumble that the Academy Award has ever done. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, when I was writing the, my notes down today, like, not only did this just flat out not really win, uh, you get a good amount of nominations. I mean, Joe Pesci did win, which, I mean obviously great for him but yeah we got we got like nothing for ray liotta rest in peace like that was one, a really great leading acting performance and this Scorsese to lose up to kevin costner and dances with wolves is, is shocking like i don't yeah, have I... problems with dances with wolves but like 
this film really transcends what you said, the nineties, what we know with uh, gangster films and, and obviously Scorsese himself. And to come away with like nothing that night, it's just, it's, it's head boggling. And this film is just remarkable. And yeah. it's, it makes you feel the atmosphere of like, this is what it is. And that opening line with, with, you know, Rayleigh, uh, Henry Hill, like for, for as long as I've wanted to be a game, like that's just, it's imprinted in your head half the time. And in this film is it's so damn good. Yeah. My, and it, uh, Sorry. No, I'm just like, I, it's like, I'm looking at my letterbox. I'm like, why do I not have this five stars? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, we were talking earlier about Scorsese's kind of pace. And I feel like this is another one where like from minute one, it just goes. And then by the time it's over, you look at your watch, you're like, Oh, it's over. Um, I don't know, like, just the energy of this is so infectious. Uh, and, uh, like, obviously, I think um, a lot of, you know, when, when people think of Goodfellas, obviously, they think of, uh, like, they think of, oh, he did the mob movie. And, yes, this is the mob movie. But he's doing the same thing that he does in every, you know, epic, where he's like, look at this. This is not a good way to live. Like, you're going oh, to yeah. We're all done. <laughs> There's no escape. Like, you know, this these so-called, like, systems of protection are all bound to turn on each other at some point because of how you know manly how egocentric how selfish these guys are because like you look at them and they're supposed to be these really professional but they will snap at the turn of a hat like the moment they get insulted you know go clean your fucking shine box like you're done you know what i mean the the whole line of you know, do I make you laugh? Am I am I a clown? Do I amuse you? I mean, this was obviously the film that, you know, made more people familiar with Joe Pesci. And it just gave him that tough guy look. And it's really, every, there are some times when I go to watch this and I'm surprised at the the, the turn of characters you get from De Niro and, and Pesci. And then Ray Liotta is just kind of like right in the middle of that. I mean, it's it's a great film. It has one of the best, you know, smoking scenes with De Niro. Some Absolutely. of the greatest needle, needle drops you can come with. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this this film is a riot. And I I know some friends who haven't even seen this, and it's it's amazing how you've gone through so far in life. And this is <laughs> this is a, an amazing film. It truthfully is. And I I don't know what more out there. Just you know, we get we getting not many of the Pesci De Niro combination with Scorsese, and this one might be uh, my personal favorite of those. Absolutely. And I think the other thing about Goodfellas, um, at least as far as th this far in Scorsese's career, is this is a movie of segments. Like, you know, obviously, I think Taxi Driver, um, you can maybe argue this for, but like Goodfellas, it's like every single scene, you can probably look up on YouTube and it's someone's favorite scene. Like, I don't know, it, it, it's more of a... Uh, and I mean this in obviously a good play, but like there's no way to talk about this movie without mentioning like, oh, the one track shot or oh, you know, the dinner scene with um, like the mom or oh, you know, when they're cooking the stew. Oh, when they try and flush the cocaine down the toilet, you know, I, I was. Yeah, I was making a joke the other day. I, I like the scene where De Niro is telling uh, Lorraine Bracco to like, go get yourself a new dress like, down down there on the right. No, on, on the right. And like she knows what's about to happen. And the audience knows what's about to happen. But Scorsese does a great job at just not showing it. And and the under the realization and the awareness that, that Lorraine ends up having where she's like, I got to get out of here. And, yeah. you know, sometimes in other films and other directors, what they would do is just kind of commit to that. And I and I think this film, like what he brings to that is just unbelievable. And he, yeah, I was going to say he even fucking wrote this like this is a, crazy. Yeah, and I think the other thing interesting that this does do, um, 
that I, that I thought was noteworthy was obviously, you know, Ray Liotta opens the movie and his narration kind of fuels it. But there is that moment where you get Karen's perspective of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I appreciate uh, Lorraine Bracco's supporting performance in this. Obviously, you know, she continues to stay in the mob world uh, in The Sopranos after this, which, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of Sopranos actors in this. Michael Imperioli is Spider, you know, like, uh, a lot of people show up in this that show up in that, but that just goes to show how iconic this movie is. Like, you know, it, it's ingrained in cinephiles everywhere um, as not only one of the best movies in the 90s, but one of the best movies, period. Um, you know, I feel like when, you know, the, the horrid day when Scorsese is no longer with us, I feel like people will be, this is going to be at the top of everyone's um, list as far as what they're, like what he was remembered for. Wait, um, where Where's the Criterion Collection of this? Like, if we're, if we're I don't talking... think there is one. There's a 4K. Yeah. And I guess I'll probably grab that. I haven't something right. What are we missing on? No, this this film's great. I mean, yeah, I can get it. where people feel like it's not a re- like it, it's harder always return to it. But I mean, in terms of like one to three years, you kind of have to throw it on. They need to do all these movies that we're talking about and drop a big uh, Scorsese collection on Criterion. Like a six, oh geez, three hundred dollars, and I'd buy it. I would absolutely buy it. Because they, they have those with, you know, foreign Agnes filmmakers. Marta. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, yeah. to obviously bring America and aware of, like, what those filmmakers did. They, I mean, yeah. I think the titular American filmmaker. You know? They have, like, Scorsese did that, where, like, he picked out six films, like, I think short films or not. But, yeah, like, the Scorsese he short. He has right. a collection. Yeah, like, we're on to something. Criteria, if you're listening, we have notes. Um, Yeah, Goodfellas is incredible. Uh, You know, I, I, it's yeah, I, I can't say much more about it. Um, so then the year after, Cape Fear. Um, this is kind of his studio picture. Uh, when looking at you know his filmography. Um, and listen, I think this movie is incredibly entertaining. Um, it's of course kind of doing a thriller slash horror. Um, a kind of a fun De Niro performance that you don't really see from him. He's kind of this uh freak, <laughs> but a very like. Um, whereas like Taxi Driver and King of Comedy are very kind of internal performances. This is a very external freak. You think of like the tattoos, you think of him doing, you know, the pull-ups and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I I think this movie's a lot of fun. Um, sure, maybe it's a bit lengthy, uh, long in the tooth, but man, like it's just fun to see Scorsese doing uh going for it, especially like in the the last act of this movie that takes place on that boat, like where lightning's crashing everywhere, like shit's really hitting the fan. Um, it, I just love seeing a madman get to swing. Uh, but I don't know. I have fun with this one. I so I remember the, one of the first. I mean, times I caught this film was was on USA, and so like I for the longest time I've always had the the impression of like what the TV rating was for this, and then when I finally get a chance to kind of capture the real thing, it's like we've talked about a bunch of De Niro characters, but this is like the one I don't want to be at a diner with or at a movie theater. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near this guy, Max Katie. Like <laughs> I'm all, I'm all good. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm fine. And he does, like you said, a perfect uh, explanation. Like everything here is, you know, external and it. He shows you everything and doesn't, doesn't really hide that. And for Scorsese to do something like this again, you know, this is a good thriller. And for him to capture that, a lot of other directors would, would want this as their best film. And like Scorsese, this is in that 15, you know, range. It's remarkable. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously I feel like this is lower on both of our rankings, but this, again, it's better than most movies out there, um, just in terms of how pulpy it is. 
and how like even though it's like really disturbing it's also kind of fun you know just watching shit hit the fan and seeing how the hell are you going to escape this guy um i don't know Scorsese, i you know i i don't know if he loves this movie but i i i i have a good time with it i um, i would say the best the best thing that to come out of this film is juliet lewis absolutely. i mean she she i'm not saying like she won the film because i haven't seen it in so long to really like break that part down but if we're talking like what she was able to do after this in the 90s was like she's a fantastic character actor and she owns every scene that she can get in those films that she has and i mean it it's kind of you know you can almost say she takes notes and then goes into natural born killers you know yeah well and there's that like that one scene um between her and de niro where i don't know if they'd make that today um but it is like one of those where she's holding her own against de niro Mm -hmm. in that scene uh where i would just faint in his presence um it's remarkable stuff uh so anyway um on to something completely different two years later in 93 he has the age of innocence um this one is uh you know again kind of a black sheep as far as this is kind of a very uh romantic drama um and i mean you look at the top three build here daniel day lewis michelle pfeiffer and winona Ryder, who i think all at this point in the 90s were kind of at a, a high moment in uh their respective careers um i really like this one i think a lot of people have this as uh one of their favorite scorsese's and i can certainly see that um for me i i i thoroughly enjoyed it um and i i think the thing that i was most impressed is scorsese doing a genuine romance movie you know like not often is the romance the thing you're talking about when leaving a scorsese movie um but this one it's very genuine you buy it uh and especially with those three performers at the wheel i think everyone's doing a really good job yeah this uh one of the films i i bought this as part of my criterion you know summer bash whatever but they uh, first time i saw this was uh, over the summer and i gotta say like very very beautiful film i mean great to see the romance capture the way it is daniel Lewis, daniel day lewis one of our favorite actors and just one of the best to do it and this is one of those rare films where like every room you walk into you feel safe to, for the lack of a better word and scorsese you know he really brings the shine to this in terms of the production and and the story might not be like rich for other people in terms of like what they're looking for in the romance, but if but the way that Daniel Day Lewis tragically moves through time and like shifts the way he goes about the love that he has for these people uh, between the Michelle Pfeiffer character and the you know a writer character, and I gotta say that last shot of Daniel Day Lewis when he, he I mean spoilers, but who the fuck cares? This movie came out in nineteen ninety three. Like he's walking away when and, and like he like he could I mean that right there to me was like brutal. Like that yeah. goes to show you and remind you like Scorsese, even when you think your guard is safe with how he can't hurt you or scare you or bring you pain, like this last shot in this film really does it for me. And it's 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 beautiful. And I think Daniel Day Lewis really kind of gives you that moment. And I mean this is something that I could I easily see myself rewatching rather than I first thought. Yeah, absolutely. I think my last note about this is, you know, you look at um, in his career, uh, a lot of these movies kind of deal on this tension of, oh, no, like, when are things going to break? You know, think of Taxi mm-hmm. Driver, think yeah. of King of Comedy. Um, when this one, it's a very, like, romantic tension that he's dealing with, which is kind of a different flavor. Um, and again, the fact that he's able to uh, do that so well is just a testament to why he's one of the best to ever fucking do it. Um yeah, and I mean, again, Daniel J. Lewis, like, with an iconic career uh, that he's had and kind of a, a small career that he's had, mm-hmm. the fact that he was able to work with Scorsese not once, but eventually twice, uh, just goes to show that I'm sure Scorsese had a good time working with him. Um, 
Okay, so then uh, his next film on the list is Casino in 1995. Um, I think this is kind of compared to Goodfellas a lot. Uh, there's certainly a lot of similar DNA. You're bringing back De Niro, you're bringing back Pesci. Um, it's Scorsese kind of doing that really quick edit, uh, three-hour-long movies. Um, I gotta say, I have a great time with this one. Uh, when you think of Casino, I the, I just think of the excess, you know, the opening montage, which is like 20 minutes long, going through how exactly the casinos work and the ins and outs of all of it. It's just some of the most, I think this is one of my favorite, like, Thelma um, editing jobs, where the fact that this is, like, three hours, at least for me, it just blows by. Like, it is just, we gotta keep moving, look at all this stuff in your eyes. Like, it's just like the city of Las Vegas itself. It's, like, constantly, you know, blaring at you, all these neon lights and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I just love it. I think it's great. This film is, I mean, I think the older you get, the more you enjoy it. I can understand, you know, a younger audience can watch this for the first time and kind of feel like that length is a little distracting. But, I mean, I, this might be one of De Niro's underrated performance because he captivates the whole screen. I mean, he has to. He really does. And, you know, he's going toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with Joe Pesci and, and Sharon Stone. I mean, this this was... You know, I re-listened to the rewatchable episode of this, and they kind of talked about how like Sharon Stone won this movie because she was able to to go through so much. And you know, it, this could have been any other actress, and they could have fumbled that. But Sharon Stone really kind of shows she's worth it because she's in scenes with Pesci and De Niro, and she's really giving it them all. And Scorsese, like you said, he, he's really great with you know the the needle drops in this movie, the pan wits, and I, I liked everything with the design and kind of like the whole like you know casino was built by the mobs and like they had to find a way to get the money. And like, I know a lot of the names in this one is obviously changed for, I guess, safety purposes. And that's always great to know, but it, it's, it's not obviously I would say people's go-to when they want to watch a, a film of Scorsese in the nineties. But I mean, I had a blast rewatching this. Like I thought it was fun. We haven't even mentioned it, but a lot of his films were always find the lead act actor character like doing narrations and some filmmakers can make that distracting and can really ruin the device of what the film and the storytelling they're trying to do for all of Scorsese's works and especially in casino like the narration is key and it's actually done very well and you you get more information that's needed there and and I like that a lot in this one I don't have any problems I want one of the, I just want one of the suits that De Niro wears I any heard of them, that he any got of them. I heard that he got to keep them. Like that was one of the things he towards Chris Hayes. Like any suit we had, like I want to wear it. I think that's baller. It's um, like a better Paul Saul thing, you know. Yeah, like, like this, this is fun. Like this might be like a world you don't want to live in because it's fucking brutal. But I mean, De Niro does a awesome job at like everything that he has because he's controlling. Like, I think he's in every scene nearly. He really yeah. is. Um, and the other thing that you were saying about narration, I think this movie actually does something kind of fun with it. Um, you know, near the end, Joe Pesci uh, is narrating in the cornfield and then he gets killed mid narration, which is such a cool like twist on things. Because when you think of immediately of his narration, you're like, oh, so our main guy's like probably fine by the end of it. Um, and no, that's not the case at all. Uh, the fact we, that you can get whacked mid narration. We, we uh, didn't even mention it with Goodfellas, but the two scenes between Goodfellas and Casino when Joe Pesci's character gets, you know, cut off, it's, it's heartbreaking. It, the tension is right there. And, you know, if this was like John Carpenter, like there would be, you would know the horrors coming, but Scorsese doesn't even like give you a warning. It just like, every time Scorsese walks into that scene, you're like, he's going to be safe. He's going to get out of there. And then that's the last you see of him. And his presence is felt missing. And I think he's another, 
actor where we don't have much time left and it, it's it's great for what we have of him truly yeah and i think the ending of this is also great where by the time at the end of this whole three-hour epic the fact that de niro goes exactly right back where he started um i i just think it's very poetic <laughs> in just a very silly way to uh end this movie um but i don't know i you know is it better than goodfellas probably not but um you know i i i respect the excess and how big it goes um and then, so, uh, in 97, he gives us Kundun. Um, so I have not seen this. This is one of the very few that I haven't seen. Uh, the only thing I really know about it is, um, Christopher Moltisanti going, Marty, I liked it in the Soprano. So, um, you know, shout out to, uh, Moltisanti. But, um, I, this seems like, I, like, you wouldn't really pick Scorsese to do a movie like this. And I'm interested to see how, um, again, like we're talking with, uh, kind of his range and spectrum of genre. I'm interested to see, like, what he does with this. Um, you know, obviously it's about Tibet and the Dalai Lama. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to check it out. I haven't seen it. I heard, uh, after kind of like going through a bunch of like Scorsese interviews and podcasts and when I, I was re- listening to about, I haven't seen this myself. And when this was released, it was kind of, you know, met with some criticism because of what its subject material is. And and I think that could be why it might be now hard to find. That, that just could just be me. But I want to say Disney is one of the producers for this, if I'm not, if I'm not Interesting. mistaken. Interesting. Yeah. And and so, like, that's one. Uh, like, I, I, it's not that I don't want to see it. It's just really hard to kind of come across. Yeah. 100%. Um, Nominated then... for four Oscars, too. <laughs> Believe that or not. Good for him. Uh, and then he closes out the 90s with Bringing Out the Dead, um, a collaboration once again with Paul Schrader, and I think his last collaboration with Paul Schrader, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and this stars uh, the one and only incomparable Nicolas Cage as uh, a paramedic who really just needs some sleep. Um, you know, I was. Uh, this kind of reminds me when I was talking a couple episodes ago uh, with Johnny about insomnia. Um, this movie makes me very sleepy because it perfectly understands that, like, it's so late at night. You're so, you know, sleep deprived. And what does, you know, what does the city become uh, in that? And the fact that, you know, it's about a paramedic who's trying to save lives, but uh, sees kind of is haunted by the people he can save. It's a great premise for uh, a movie like this. Um, obviously, really fun cast. Patricia Arquette, John Goodman, Ving Rhames, Sizemore, our guy. Um, Cliff Curtis shows up in there for a bit. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is another one of kind of uh, a good expression of kind of the genre of filmmaking that Scorsese's best known for. Um, you know, not my favorite, but I, I love the vibe that this movie gives off first and foremost. Yeah, I think uh, one of those rare occasions where like you you know you might tell someone yeah did you see the nicholas cage Scorsese movie people be like what the fuck are you talking about yeah but like there was there was a time where like nicholas cage was one of the top dogs out there i mean this is after his oscar win and wanting to work with scorsese no one's gonna pass that opportunity up and and i and i found this very enjoyable i mean it, it has that that dark presence where this might be like scorsese's first attempt of horror in the in a in a this light of things and you know a plot that you don't see too often and then it kind of doesn't linger and to say the least where like it this is watchable because you might see the trailer and find it bonkers because like this guy is seeing things that's not there um but it's it's a it's a, it's a neat film i won't lie and like nicholas cage does a great job at it i feel like it's it's, also... it's better that it's not De Niro. let's put it that way like it, it could have gotten old if it was like someone else in this role but i think nicholas cage is great 
and he brings the insanity without it being like laughable, you know, which yeah, is yeah. You, you think of Cage and automatically like his over the top nature um, is kind of first and foremost in your head. And he certainly has that here, but I feel like it fits the character very well. I feel like this is one of those movies in his filmography that's um, also just going to like bound for reclamation, sort of like how, um, you know, like King Comedy and After Hours have sort of been, uh, I feel like bringing out the dead is also kind of reaching that status. Um, the more people look back into his life. Um, but I have fun with it. Again, like many directors, this would be their best film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then Scorsese enters the 2000s with Gangs of New York, um, a movie that he's personally not proud of, uh, considering he had to work with Harvey Weinstein, who sort of butchered the movie. Apparently, there's a four-hour cut of this, uh, which signed me up. Like, when's that happening? You know, if we got the Snyder cut, surely this exists somewhere. Um but I, listen, the first thing that comes to my mind in this is Daniel Day-Lewis um, and just like Bill the Butcher, one of the best characters in Scorsese history, like just instantly you're drawn. He's so magnetic in this movie. And the fact that he's going up against DiCaprio and just like wiping the floor with anyone else in the scene, um, it's unbelievable. The movie itself, it's pretty good. You know, I, I'm not, I, a lot of people say Cameron Diaz is Miss Cat, and I kind of agree. I don't know if he quite fits the role um but i don't know I, I i kind of like this tale of revenge and i sort i see the angle that marty's trying to get at with sort of this history of new york and how it got to you know um the way it was and kind of the history of the street gangs and stuff like that um but i don't know i have a fun time with it mostly because of jay lewis's performance but you know i think it's pretty good i for some reason like this is one of those films where i'm always excited to rewatch it uh this was if i remember you know, I was 10 when this came along and, and it was like, it captured my eye because like DiCaprio, Scorsese, and then you get, the older you get, you learn more that Daniel Day-Lewis is the real, like, the part of what you come to watch this film. I mean, Scorsese, or DiCaprio is learning a lot from, from Daniel Day-Lewis and I, and I think that's a good takeaway from this, but Daniel Day-Lewis is just hands down, I mean, this is one of those, he has three Oscars, okay, but like, for some reason, like, the four could be convinced here. Um, absolutely absolutely 2002 i want to say he lost to russell crowe beautiful yeah. mind does that yeah. sound right yeah um I, I i just i mean this movie is is brutal like this is like the conditions are not good because you're you know you're messing you're messing in this time period and you see a lot of winter but like the cast that comes across from this with you know liam neeson you know, opening Gleason, the movie like Gleason, boss. yeah yeah uh i i, I think it's the four like you said there's that four hour cut that might be interesting and can kind of connect a lot of like what you feel is loose um the camera diaz part is very cringe uh i don't know if that's her fault i mean she's i'm not saying she's inexperienced but like she's just kind of coming up into hollywood and it's might be her first grab at like big filmmaking but you can tell the chemistry is not there between her and, and dicaprio and that's strange because usually he likes them that young but i think in terms of like how this one could be on the back burner, that doesn't upset me too much. Like I really like what I get out of this. There's that shot um, with Daniel Day Lewis as Bill the Butcher, and he's just in the chair with the American flag wrapped around him. And I think that is the coldest sh like shot you could have for a villain, to say the least. And yeah, how he views himself and how he you know carries himself in ways in the community. Like I think it's remarkable. And I mean give this guy in like one of those fighting games, like the Mortal Kombat DLC packs. And like, I would play him hands down all the time. I think it'd be sick. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, they can get Daniel Day-Lewis back to voice. him. you know, he's not doing anything these days. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, at the very least, um, 
this movie gave us DiCaprio and Scorsese and that power couple that sort of carried us through this next uh, phase of Scorsese's career where De Niro, like, he doesn't get De Niro back until Irishman in 2019. And so he's kind of on the lookout for a new lead in his movies. And DiCaprio seems to kind of slide into that spot pretty naturally um, as we go on. Uh, but yeah, so, and I, yeah, that's right. His next movie is actually The Aviator uh, in 2004. Um, this is the Howard Hughes biopic. Uh, and I think this is kind of, um, you know, it, it's very easy to see why this grabs Scorsese. Um, you know, the idea of filmmaking and uh, kind of invention and sort of the tortured ar artist. Uh, I feel like a lot of that Scorsese is empathizing with in this. Um, weirdly, my hot take is like, this isn't my favorite of his. And I only saw this once and maybe it's due for a revisit. But I thought like the first two hours were amazing. And then everything in the red room, I just found really repetitive uh, after a while. But DiCaprio is very good. Kate Blanchett like steals the movie. Um, as Won the Oscar. Yeah, yeah, like she's luminous in this movie. Um and, you know, like that plane crash uh, sequence is really, really riveting. Um, it's just, I don't think the last act of this really lines up for me, but there's certainly a lot to appreciate going for it. I think one of the big takeaways I have for this is obviously, you know, uh, this really shows you that DiCaprio is, you know, going to make a presence in Hollywood and like he wants to make films like this and capture everything um, that goes to show you in terms of what a character means and like how you want to deliver it. I can get where people come off just like with games in New York where like this movie might be too long and there's a lot of de overly seen details. I mean, what you said about the last hour being a little bit, you know, out of the ballpark, I, that first hour where you're spent so much about the hell's angels and just the consistent filming of that with the very little of, of what, you know, you might want where you, you kind of get the story moving along, but like being right next to Leo this whole time and like, I, I think that's one of my favorite performances of him. I believe that he should have won the Oscar for this instead of Jamie Jamie Foxx for Ray. No offense. When was the last time you heard a Ray conversation? I I just I think what's really cool about this film is the surrounding of it. I mean, you want to talk about scope? Like Scorsese brings the scope here. I mean, absolutely. This film this film has one of the uh, one of the better production and costume wins for both of that wins cinematography and editing, and I think it's all. Oh, well-deserved. I mean, I'm not saying this needed to win picture or whatnot, but, like, I think when you're looking at Scorsese, it's no surprise why he made, like you said, like, why he made it. He enjoyed that stuff, and Howard Hughes might just be a complicated person, and I think that's just what it comes down to. He's not a person that needs a three-hour film, but if someone's going to do it, I'm glad it's Scorsese, and if someone's going to play him, I'm glad it's DiCaprio. Yeah, I think it's sort of the best case scenario for this sort of movie, because, I mean, this subject, I feel like, is prime for, like, an Oscar bait movie, um, which, and even though it was, like, I, I, there's a personal level and a personal touch that Scorsese brings to it, but, again, the fact that you're getting Scorsese, the fact that you're getting DiCaprio in a movie like this, um, it's impressive, and, again, like, the blind chat performance is phenomenal, it looks great, it sounds great, um, yeah, it's hard, it, it's hard to, uh, not have a good time. I feel, yeah, I feel like if I don't say anything about Kate Blanchett, that my my people might think that I have a problem, but I, I don't. Like Kate Blanchett is is amazing in this, and and I've heard like many stories, like you know people really took that Catherine Hepburn, like this was real, and that's why she kind of got the the uh, the win. Fantastic actress. Agreed. Um, and then that puts us in two thousand six. Um, we have the departed. Um, you know the world could I use plenty of bartenders. <laughs> um. You know, uh, arguably another IP. Um, this is a remake of uh, Internal Affairs. Um, 
And here in Scorsese's like, we're bringing this down to Boston, dealing with the Irish mafia. Um, a cop undercover in a criminal gang and a criminal undercover is a cop. Um, an incredible premise that once it just goes, you're just on the ride. Um, I mean, this, this is an HBO TV show's wet dream. Absolutely. And, and, unfor- and unfortunately, like, I'm glad we got the collaborations we did get with this. Yeah, this this movie's amazing. It really is. So not only do we have DiCaprio back in the wheel, uh, we have Matt Damon coming in, uh, arguably at his apex, because here we have, he's like mid-born, mid-oceans, like prime time for uh, a movie like this. And then we have Jack Nicholson, one of his like better late performances, um, who gets to really play like the worst guy ever. Uh, I rewatched this earlier this year. And the, in the first 10 minutes, he says like every single slur known to man. <laughs> And you're still like, oh man, that Jack. Um, I don't know. I, I it's so fun. It's so you know violent and so intense. It really feels like Scorsese's having a blast with this one. Um, and I don't know like how exactly his experience was with this one. Uh, there was a recent article out saying that like Warner Brothers wanted him to like leave characters alive and like make this part of a franchise. Part of the fun of this is just seeing how crazy this movie actually goes and you know, the risk to tie off all loose ends in the last, like, 20 minutes of this movie is applause-worthy, in my opinion. This is one of his best third acts. Um, and, again, the supporting cast in this. Wahlberg, arguably the best we've ever seen Wahlberg. Maybe Sands, Boogie Night. Uh, Vera Farmiga, Martin Sheen, Ray Winstone, Anthony Anderson, Alec Baldwin, Kevin Corrigan, James Padgett, like, just a, a, a god-tier row of supporting performances. Um, this movie's a riot. I love it. Yeah, this this movie is it's one of those where like it's none of their best work the people that have come to be involved in this but the result is i mean it's like an all-star team coming together and you just want to watch it and that's that's one of the great things about this uh it won best picture this is the first time scorsese wins best director in the film won best picture i think a lot of the conversation from that comes that this is just you know it benefited from a weak year Mm-hmm. at the end of the day though like when you're watching this film it is it's good it's, yeah it's, it's good like i mean the whole plot device that that william monaghan like you know brings to the screen here is it's something that people actually like to see like they like that you know that undercover part to it and the way that they can you know uncover who's who and and trying to find the rat and the mole and the maze and it's it's remarkable and one thing that i i've saved for this conversation with you and you know, I, I enjoy every, you know, departed and redeparted that we, we get we'll get here soon. But the fact that we were very like we got uh, DiCaprio in the film, but we almost had Matt Damon or Brad Pitt in the role of Matt Damon, Ray Liotta in the role of Mark Wahlberg, mm. Pacino almost playing Nicholson's role. Oh and then God. you have Robert De Niro almost playing Martin Sheen's role. And like that's one of those revolving door kind of mo- like signing murderers row. Like I'm curious how that film would have transpired. And I yeah. know how you you were mentioning where the studio wanted to keep some characters alive to tell a sequel. The the very last scene where we see Mark Wahlberg, you know, give Matt Damon what he deserves, and he walks away. There was supposed to be like a sequel, and Mark Wahlberg's been very vocal about it, where like they were gonna go and and look into the Capitol because that rat that walks across it was going to like, you know, hint and tease at something. And they wanted like, Scorsese wanted to work with uh, De Niro again. And like, that was one of the earlier talks was like a sequel involving Mark Wahlberg finding more like corruption within, you know, what we've come to know with the government, I guess you can say. And I'm glad we don't have that because yeah, thank God. <laughs> trying to have Mark Wahlberg in a lead for Scorsese is weird. I mean, it's weird enough that he got nominated. Yeah. Uh, 
This, but he's this, great. This is arguably my favorite. Like, arguably the, thing, the yeah. only movie that Wahlberg walks away with the MVP. Mm-hmm. He's a riot in this movie. He he's. I mean, the, the film. This might be one of like the best rewatch to have with a crowd of people. I would think uh, for Scorsese films, this and one more that we'll get to. But I I like this movie a lot. I I just you know why the fuck not? I was. I would put so this on right that, now. That I would I don't want to like fully spoil it, but like that third act that happens with uh Daniel DiCaprio, like instant like one of my biggest shocks. I was like, I did not see that coming. Absolutely. Absolutely the, whole third act. the whole third act. I'd kill to see this on opening night just to see the reactions. Um but man, like what a what a goddamn banger. Um all right, so then next up we have Shutter Island in 2010. Uh and this is uh, this one's weird because I think Scorsese hates this movie. Um, you know, I think this is also kind of one of his studio pictures where it's mostly a paycheck job for him. But goddamn, dude, like what a paycheck! This movie is awesome. Um, it's so intense, like it's so viscerally uncomfortable, and it's one of those that I think is actually you know when you're dealing with a movie that has sort of a a, a you know change the game level twist that this has. Uh, it it's. I don't know. The fact that I'm able to rewatch it and pick up on new things every time I watch it, I think speaks to the level of this quality. Um, you know, DiCaprio is amazing in this, obviously. Uh, Ruffalo is really good as a, in the supporting performance. It just feels very, I don't know. I, I, I just think this is a very kind of one of his more psychologically um, crazy movies, in a sense. Um, obviously, you're already dealing with a mental institution. But I don't know. It just feels like Scorsese's it feels like he's having fun with all the genre stuff he's able to do, but I don't know. Apparently, he doesn't love this one, which is a bit of a shame because I think it's awesome. Hmm. I, did, I I was unaware of that. I yeah. I think yeah. you and I have had this conversation before. This this is one of the best thrillers in the last multiple of decades. I mean, any everything that this film tries to do for itself and you know keeps you on the edge of twists and turns is is well done. I mean, it's it's a la- labyrinth. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, and and the way they bend the reality and the mystery, like kind of leaves people away from like, you know, I don't want to be in that situation. And like, who does? I mean, DiCaprio was great in this. And like, I love Ruffalo in that role and everything that comes with it is just, I mean, the ending is, is insane. And I think it might be one of the best executed. It has to, because if it doesn't work, then it, it's a it all falls apart. Yeah. yeah. And I think what's more of a, like, you know, this, this wasn't even nominated for anything. And when you have this collaboration of everyone involved, you're kind of surprised even has Ben Kingsley, like as the doctor. And it's, it's a, I think it's a well, well done made movie. And and I recently had the 4k of it. And even the restoration of that is, it makes it even more beautiful and, and horrifying with the atmosphere that it, it creates. And I, I like it a lot. I really do. Yeah, uh, this also has one of my favorite needle drops, um, Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight, which Arrival used and The Last of Us used earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime you use that song, it's always good, always good, always gets me. Um, but well, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that, um, you have Michelle Williams and 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 her like very small role, but like her performance speaks loud yeah. and decap DiCaprio in that very end where you know he he's like. Which would be worse to live as a monster or to die as a good man? Ooh. And like that, to, for that to be your last impression of this film, it, 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 you're burned. Yeah, I, I like obviously. Um, I think Taxi Driver is probably his most uncomfortable. This might be number two. <laughs> like oh, just the, how dark this actually goes. Um, when you have in the grand scheme of things and knowing what the ending means. Um, 
It's horrifying, but God I mean, it has one of the, like, uh, you know, our co-friend here has said before where, you know, it makes you believe, you know, the whole gaslighting of like, you know, you're a patient here yeah. and like that, that can just really mess with someone. And that's, that's real horror there because that has happened to people, you know, being tricked Absolutely. into, you know, these uh, asylums. Yeah. And, um, and this was crazy because like this was a one-two punch for DiCaprio that year because it was Shutter Island and Inception, um, mm-hmm. which you know, like both God-tier movies <laughs> in one year. That's pretty impressive. It, it, it just it goes to show you like you know who's at top. And, yeah, you know, I, I'm not guy. complaining when I've supported that guy for so long. Absolutely. Uh, so then moving on to again, kind of another tone switch. Uh, we have Hugo. So this is uh basically his kids' movie. Um. Yeah based on a uh, very popular book by uh, Brian Selznick. Uh, the thing is, is, even though this is a kid's movie, I feel like this still has the Scorsese touches um, that he's known for. Um, obviously, his love of cinema really shines through. There's a lot uh, going on here with kind of the first motion pictures. And, uh, you know, George Millais is uh, Millier or whatever. Um, is kind of a very prominent feature in this movie. Um I have a lot of nostalgia for it because I grew up on this and this is also the movie that like got me into movies. Um, so this kind of has a very personal uh, spot in my heart for it. And I love the book and I, I think the movie's a brilliant um, adaptation. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I love this one. Obviously it's not on everyone's speed, but I just recently got the uh, Arrow 4K of it and I'm excited to check it out. Um, and this is also one of the only few movies that I think actually worked well with 3D. Um, you know, a lot of movies post Avatar were like post converted into 3D and it looked like absolute nonsense. Um, but here you have an actual filmmaker who has, who has the 3D in mind when he's filming it. And I think that just goes to show what he's capable of. Um, but I love Hugo. I'm excited to rewatch it very soon. Yeah, I, that's the exact thing. You know, I need to rewatch this. I, I remember watching this one and just remembering how bright and warm it makes you feel and for a Scorsese, Scorsese film that is usually the complete opposite I mean yeah it takes you out of haven't it, yeah. said anything prior um I, th- I think the only thing that like I-, I always kind of forget when I re when I haven't rewatched or whatever but just you know Aza Butterfield's performance I need to understand that like that you know it's a children's act or performance and like I can't really take too much away from that but the, everything else that comes with it you know and what the story kind of tells I need to rewatch it to get a better sense of that and I I know visually it looks great I mean it really does and this might be one of those things that Scorsese learns something new from and masters it all in one try absolutely um yeah i love hugo uh you know very close to my heart um and then the next year <laughs> uh or two years later i guess 2013 we have the wolf of wall street um listen dicaprio's reigning crown um achievement in my opinion uh my opinion on this movie uh everything in this movie is good and cool um and uh uh, uh jordan belford he's just like me for real and uh i aspire to be that guy um no, I mean, this is like one of the most, you know, maybe rivaling Casino, uh, maybe the most excess in a Scorsese movie, like, you know, tons of money, tons of naked women, tons of, you know, criminal crimes and, you know, uh, criminal activity. It's an epic. It is an epic, um, except this one takes place in, you know, Wall Street as opposed to, you know, a massive desert or <laughs> any other location this is a modern day epic um of greed and excess and how debauched these people were um and the DiCaprio leading performance is phenomenal 
he, in my opinion, probably should have won the Oscar for this, uh, as yeah. opposed to Revenant. He's good in Revenant, but I feel like this is so much more of a, you know, um, performance. Uh, it's unbelievable. It, it, I mean, just rewatching it. And again, it's one of those movies of segments. Like, you know, there's so many moments in this that I can instantly remember clear as day. Um, and that all just blends together so well. I, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, I have. Um, I mean, this this film is one of those where, like, I, I'll keep close to me because I remember the first time I watched it. It was it was amazing. It's a, it's a riot of a film and a comedy. And in a film of this length with this topic and subject material, it might not work for a lot of people. But but I think this is in the wheelhouse of like everything you want the story to tell. Um, there might be some fabrications and whatnot, but when when you're given you know Scorsese and DiCaprio the chance to just shine, this is probably the best they've done it. Um, I mean, I don't know what more to say than like, I've seen this movie more times than probably anything that these guys have done. And just maybe Scorsese in general, like I, I have a fun time watching this. The runtime does not bother me, you know, and before this, this is um, perhaps like goes to show you like Jonah Hill really has talent. And I think this was like the first thing that people saw that he was like, Oh, well shit. <laughs> and the friendship that DiCaprio and Hill got from this, I'm kind of like wishing they did more work together. And then there's still time for that. But like when I watched this for the first time, I just remember like this was more fun than I wanted it to be. And I mean, only nominated for five Oscars, which is strange. Uh, I can see, I can see the separations between other categories and whatnot. Um, Losing to Matthew McConaughey is not the end of the world because I don't I, listen in, in the year 2013, the, uh, Matthew McConaughey made true detective season one and interstellar and then won the Oscar for Dallas Valley club. I don't want to take that away from anything, anybody because that was remarkable. Strong run, strong run. That, that is, that is a triple crown right there. And so I'm okay with that, especially knowing that Leo eventually got his Oscar. But I mean, in terms of like, you know this competing for best picture i under i also understand you know 12 years a slave just a remarkable film on its own right and they just don't reward like the comedy of what this film is trying to pull off and in, in its storytelling and at the same time i mean it he jordan belfort lived a wild life and i think you know this teaches you some lessons to say the least yeah absolutely well and That's this one even shows up in the movie like i didn't even mention it, that like he's the even last second yeah the last second um yeah, I, and this also, I, and the critical response to this also wasn't strong when it came out. Like, most people were kind of um, shocked mm -hmm. by everything that was going down. Uh, very similar to um, Babylon a couple of years ago, where people were just kind of like, whoa, this is too much for me. Um, but the Babylon Hive lives on. Listen, Babylon Hive grows stronger every single day, um, and we we don't give up. Um, but listen, I... I the, Leo DiCaprio performance is amazing. This is the movie that put us all on to Margot Robbie, um, my queen, yeah. who was 22 when filming this, which is unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, I think this is maybe Scorsese's angriest movie. Like, I, I he hates these people. Um, and I think it's very, you know, I obviously you can be blindsided by all the excess and all the luxury in this, but... I think he's he hates everyone in this movie um, with a burning passion, and I but I think that's the point is that we're swindled by you know all of this uh, you know kind of the luxury of it all, especially I think of that last shot you know the sell me this pen and it looks on in that crowd of like you know eager eyes like wanting a better light um, without knowing kind of what the cost of that is um, in a sense, but yeah I think it's brilliant. Um, 
I, I, I think it's a riot. It, it might be Scorsese's funniest movie. Um, but yeah. man, what a time. Uh, and then he makes Silence in 2016. Uh, this is sort of a <laughs> very slow burn religious epic. Um, Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver are the leads. Liam Neeson, the supporting performance. Um, this I think this kind of got botched release wise because I remember yeah. Paramount had this and they dropped this like just in January. Like, mm-hmm. why? I feel like that was a mistake. Um, and mm-hmm. I know with a movie like this, it's slower paced and it's not, you know, especially coming off of Wolf of Wall Street, like, this is a much more contemplative, meditative, like, guilt driven movie. Um, but I feel like this could have done better in the November, or October slot than just, oh, it's January and just drop it here. Um, which is a shame. Uh, I adore this movie. Um, I think some of my favorite Scorsese's are when he's dealing expressly with his religious guilt. Um, and this one very much is about like martyrdom and, you know, like very heavy, like, you know, themes of belief and guilt and all that stuff. Um, I, I love it. I think the pace of it, um, even though this is one of his longest ones, it's definitely more of a slow burn, but it really gets you in that mindset of like, look how hopeless the situation is. Um, especially when I think of, you know, the whole thing is, Garfield and Driver are trying to find Liam Neeson. And once we find Liam Neeson, he reveals like, hey, this entire like religion that you've been teaching, it means something completely different to this people than what you think it is. I think that's one of the most devastating moments in any Scorsese movie. Um, the Garfield performance is phenomenal. Uh, arguably, like he's never been bad in anything. This might be my favorite performance of him. Um, he's really asked a lot and put through the emotional ringer. Uh but this puts Scorsese with like Adam Driver as well, who, you know, is kind of up and coming in this time frame and has only grown since then. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I, and this is kind of maybe not only maybe one of his most underrated, but one of my personal favorites as well. I adore it. I know a lot of people kind of keep it in heart with what you're saying. And and for me, the only thing that has me uh, differently, I mean, I'd love the performances that we got. Garfield doesn't bother me like I know he does with other people. Um, however, it's it's the pacing that really gets me on this one. Like, That's fair. like I, I get the representation of like what Scorsese is trying to say. And and for me, like, it, you know, it, it's horrifying the way religion is is taught and expressed differently across many cultures and countries and the representation that, you know, what they're trying to give with this one. And especially when you learn across it the first time and just that strangle that you kind of get. Um, I represent I mean, a, a part of all that I get It's just for me, that pacing. Um, I like the, the beautiful cinematography that, that we get. Um, there's just something that comes from like when you're going to tell something this long, you know, I, you, you're feeling you're feeling it. And yeah. I don't want to like totally dock it from anything. But like I rewatched this a couple weeks ago and it just one of those where I was kind of wanting like something to happen in terms of loudly, but the loud is displayed more silently. And I just what hence the title. But it's it's a brutal film and especially in that closing you know scene where you learn the devastating you know end of what garfield's character comes through and what they had to sacrifice it's it's brutal and i'm glad i don't have to be a part of that but at the same time i understand the storytelling that they're doing here yeah absolutely um and then in 2019 he gives us uh the irishman a three and a half hour long epic um that brings back de niro brings back pesci uh, bring back Keitel, and then his first collaboration with Al Pacino. Um, this details the story of Frank Sheeran and the murder of uh, Jimmy Hoffa and sort of kind of their rise uh, and eventual fall together. Um, 
I, you know, a lot was said on the length of this movie, a lot of runtime discourse when this came out. Uh, I found this riveting, and weirdly enough, I think it takes, like, 40 minutes for it to finally find its tempo, and then once it goes, it is, like, just some of the best filmmaking, um, not only of that year, but uh, just of what Scorsese um, his career has done. Um, and I think this is also one of his most somber. Like, you know, we're getting to the point now where Scorsese is reaching older age. And I think with that is come like contemplating a lot about his career. Um, and especially this, if you look at it as a response to his gangster movies, such as Goodfellas and Casino, this last hour of this is unbelievable. It really sinks in this, like, what was it all for idea um, in a way that's just so like unrelentingly sad. Um, and you don't expect it from a movie like this. Because again, like it starts up and it's like, oh, this is a normal Scorsese movie. Like we're going through the beats, going through the beats. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, what was it all for? Like, do you feel guilty over this? Like, are you a machine in the system? Like, have you felt anything? Um, I think the De Niro performance is underrated. There's not a lot to him, and that's kind of the point. So it's a very internal performance. Uh, but on the flip side of that, you have Pacino really just playing to the rafters. Uh, one of his most fun uh performances in this in this stage of his career with a gun you work towards it with a knife you run away <laughs> run, run towards knife run away with a I, knife, you're right. I, I had a chance to rewatch this and and i will admit um i was wrong like the first time i saw this i was just like not on board totally against it i was like why are we doing this why are we kind of you know uh, not understanding what is roulette center here and especially that runtime i was like this is you know pathetic one of this this I mean it's like saying this movie came out 20 10 years ago it didn't it came out five yeah I rewatched it and I just floored man and I and I admitted myself to you and to others and you know I I don't have a problem with the mammoth runtime and I get that there are some you know moments that you can get away from but I don't want to take that away I mean appreciation that we all have and should have towards Scorsese with Pesci and De Niro it's it's remarkable we're never going to get anything else like it we are not and just the older we get the more we want to hold onto our stories and our beloved ones and you feel that weight that de niro has especially in that last hour where he has none of that he can tell the stories but he has no one he wants to share them truly with and he's expressing himself in a different manner that i think is reflecting on all the characters that scorsese has kind of played in the past i mean uh, de niro has played in the past and i think that's you know really good with that because you know we all think we can become immoral uh we have this immortality when we're doing these you know these nature crimes and whatnot that they've all transpired upon but at the end of the day like it's it's not the case at all and you know the story of jimmy hoffa and his disappearance is an interesting one and i think you know the way they they do that in this film is, is pretty neat it really is and it kind of shows you the relationship that they have and especially the relationship we've come to know between pacino and De Niro, it's fascinating on its own. And then we get to see it differently in the light of this one. And I don't want to take it away. I really don't. I, I really respected the film the second time I watched it and didn't really win much in the Academy Awards eyes. I mean, it was nominated a lot, but didn't really do much noise there. And zero wins and like 10 nominations. Insane. It's just, 2019 was a it, it, one year. of our best years. Big so it's kind of hard to, yeah, it's hard to um, complain against it. But damn. Um, yeah, my last thing I'll say is, uh, Joe Pesci is normally known for playing these sort of like, you know, very eccentric, very like, you know, unrestrainable um characters. And he's like a he's like a he's like a firecracker in every movie. And in this movie, it's a very internal performance. He's very like quietly dangerous and commanding 
in a way where we've never seen him like that before. And the fact that Scorsese is able to wield him like a weapon in that sort of way is pretty commendable. Like, we've never seen anything like this from Pesci before. Uh, and I think he does a great job in this movie. Um, so that takes us to uh, our modern day with um, Killers of the Flower Moon that came out last week. Um, this is, again, once again, like a three and a half hour long epic. Uh, but this time it's set in 1920s Oklahoma based on a true story about the murder of the Osage Nation um, and its people, uh, where, you know, the Osage are a community who is going through a rough time and all of a sudden they, stum they stumble on uh, some of the largest oil um, spots in the country. And with that, they become rich. And also with that, we have, um, you know, white people kind of coming in and uh kind of like like a parasite invading and uh scheming the ways to get money um obviously i think this is uh <laughs> like it, it it is a depressing film it is hard to watch it is brutal not only in that runtime but also emotionally uh but damn if scorsese still hasn't got it um in this and especially when the cast is able to weaponize you know you can make a case that DiCaprio and de niro who are returning figures um you know there's a case that they, there's there's a sense you can say they've done this before, but I was blown away by both of them, but I, I can't go any further without saying Lily Gladstone's name, um, who is arguably not only the best character in this movie, but also the most important um, getting to see this movie um, and her perspective, while obviously not the main perspective, uh, just a tragic view of the events that went down in this. I was floored. I thought this was phenomenal. Um, what did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? This this film has been one of my more anticipated ones for a long time. I mean, everyone close around me knew that, and we've we've been waiting for this one for a long time too. I mean, it seems like it's been longer in the production process, but it really hasn't. And right, you know, right off the bat, you know, we're introduced um, with knowing what the Osage Nation has, unfortunately, you know, the the nature of its true evils and what that history has has brought to the land and and what we've come to do with their culture and. I mean, we all know that there's going to be no one that can tell the story the truthful way and the right way. And I mean, that's just unfortunately the, the nature of the business and how Hollywood has expressed themselves. But if anyone's going to do it and do it right, it's going to be Scorsese. And I think what he captures here with, you know, performances in the story and how he collaborates all of it together and he brings in, you know, DiCaprio and De Niro who are not going to bullshit. They're going to give you earnest uh, performances to say at least and then you know what we've said with Lily Gladstone that can't be said more like I mean her performance is everything and and if it doesn't work this film really kind of falls apart and what she's able to do in such you know small moments and scenes because she's truthfully not in it as much as I thought going in but she's she's fascinating and you know she can express herself in such a cold stone feeling but it means so much because of the way her facial expressions brings to that and what her story also means to what they're trying to do here and it's it's a career defining performance and it, i know it's it's one that is going to just you know bring greatness out of her and i loved everything that you know this film easily early on it's not a thriller like it could give you that sense of that but they take it they take that off like right away they really kind of show you what um it's gonna is, is happening here like this this is horrific and scorsese he's not trying to sugarcoat it or hide anything he wants you to know early on the bad guys and um what the do you spot the wolves in this picture like 
uh, that was one of the earlier advertisements of this film. And I, I think it's fascinating what we got. Um, th there's so much that we're, we can obviously talk about, but I, I had a great time with it. I needed, I needed time to think on this one. And, you know, we watched it at midnight it got over at like almost 4 a.m. Um, <laughs> I was not bothered by the runtime. I understand the pacing is not going to be it for everyone. Uh, my unfortunate, you know, benefit came from like watching this with an audience that just don't, they just don't give a fuck about Scorsese. And, and that sucks. And so I had to take a lot of time to really process what this film did. And I, th I think it really kind of captures what you want. And that goes to say with anything too, though, like if you go into something, not expecting anything out of it, you're going to feel nothing, but you, the, the Scorsese does a great job at, at trying to capture what needs to be felt. And I think um, the conversations are being had that need to be have. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing in context of his entire career is you know, there's an affinity towards Scorsese and how he shoots violence, like, in Taxi mm -hmm. Driver, in Goodfellas, like, it's very, quote-unquote, cool, you know, like, when he finally, yeah. um, when shit finally hits the fan, and in here, like, the thing that, like, sticks in my mind is how banal and how, like, almost, like, boring the action is, and that, that's obviously to drive home a point, um, and especially even, uh, going back to Irishman with how Jimmy Hoffa is just dealt with, and then it's over, you know, um, that's kind of how it is here. And it really sinks in how horrifying and like uncomfortable this like slaughter was because that's what it was like. They were massacring these people um, for money. And I think the interesting thing is with a runtime like this, um, and especially because it's not moving uh, at a pace that you would expect from a Scorsese movie. It's, a, it's really allowing you as a viewer to ruminate not only of, there's, I, I was reading this somewhere, but you know, there's kind of three silences that this movie is working with, right? There's the silence that um, enforced this erasure of a people, the silence taken in the complacency of everyone in it, and then also the silence taken by like how to tell that story, like whether or not they have a filmmaker has the understanding uh, to speak through with their voice in this. And the last scene, um, especially of this movie, which make or break for some people, I thought was staggering, where it's almost like a fourth wall break of Scorsese going like, listen, like, I, this is all I can do um, in terms of telling this story. And I just thought it fascinating. Um and, you know, stuff has been said on, like, whose perspective is the right one um, when telling the story. But uh, originally, when this was being thought up, uh, originally it was just going to be, a, like, a procedural thriller um, when Jesse Plemons in this movie plays Tom White. Uh, and he was going to be the main character, played by DiCaprio in the earliest version. And then they kind of figured out, like, wait a minute, this isn't the right angle to explore this story. And while, you know, maybe that version would have been more, quote unquote, entertaining, I feel like this more, this version is a lot more horrifying and thought provoking because that main relationship of Ernest and Molly, it really asks yourself, like, it's like, Ernest, like, he's such a fascinating character because he's he's doing all of these things. He's completely responsible for a lot of the murders that are going down. And, and yet they still ask you to make that jump of like, oh, no, like, he says he loves Molly. Why would he say that? And why would he feel like how does how monstrous is he that he would feel that and also get away with the stuff that he's doing? You know, I mean, he DiCaprio is kind of turning into he he was just playing the character as dumb as it can be. Yeah, and be be basically being controlled by his uncle, which was you know De Niro, and kind of De Niro showing that he can still you know make these shitty ass movies with about grandpas, but still That's come right. back when Scorsese needs him and and hit some clutch playoff shots, but. 
DiCaprio, he, he plays it more on a dummy tone, which kind of makes that last hour more, more, more interesting because he's becoming more aware of what he did and the pain that he caused. And, and I think the way the smaller facial expressions that DiCaprio gives, because he did a lot of that stuff with like his, his smile to say the least were like that frowning kind of face he yeah. did there. And, and just all the reactions we got from him and, uh, and in the interactions that we later get to see with him and Lily Gladstone. I mean, that shot where they're in the field and the cinematography that is surrounding them as he's, you know, being arrested and what, or already in the custody, like the cinematography plays a crucial part in the storytelling because it shows you the horrors that surrounds this land and the people that have came on it to kind of really cause the havoc it did. And that, like you're saying, you know, how Scorsese made the violence look cool in those other films. We learn later in the film about, you know, when the FBI is doing their investigation, that they just to find the bullet, they had to carve this lady apart. And that is horrific to become, to find out, you know, that happened. It really leaves a sickening in your stomach. And I can see how, you know, a lot of people would be turned away from that. Um, Scorsese, you know, he has to show that stuff because he's not going to deny or fabricate what was true in, in these murders. And I don't find, you know, what DiCaprio did to be like his best. I, I do am still like, in you know, impressed with what he's able to do with this and and the story they told was great and what we have at the end of the day though is like like you said where it breaks this fourth wall like that moment is just like the realization that they're all left with nothing after this like you know you read about it and there was over 130 murders and only like a eighth of that was discovered and, and they found the right people for it and that's that's hard to hear and and i think it was great kind of seeing you know the, the scorsese to come out of in that little like true crime podcasting zone, which we've come to listen to on a lot of occasions today, um, just really kind of like hits it. And I, and I think at the end of the day, like this is going to be a film that kind of stands in the testament of like what Scorsese brought to filmmaking and storytelling and the right characters he brought to this. Yeah. And if, like, again, and his age, the fact that he's yeah. over 80 and still delivering mm -hmm. something not only something that looks this good, but something that you're still able to like have these like really, really, you know, pens even dark thoughts after watching it. Um it just it just goes to show what a master he is. Um and yeah, I mean, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this does in the awards race. I feel like um it's like this and Oppenheimer and poor things are all kind of gonna be swirling for um like what's gonna take home the best picture. But um I was just kind of floored by uh, what went down. Like, I thought I knew what I was getting into um, walking in and just leaving. Like, I was just kind of stunlocked by the time the credits yeah. happened. Like, I, know I couldn't, yeah, I, I, I couldn't really move for a bit because um, I was just kind of horrified by what was going down. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was immaculate. It's one of those interesting things because, like, uh, obviously, before we I watched this film, I, I thought the the precipitation of like uh, you know this could be big in the awards I, I i think it's too dark like i i think it might be telling the right story but i don't know if it's going to be rewarded on that um as great as everyone involved is there could be that slight chance where you know the academy is like maybe we'll give nolan best picture and scorsese best director because this this is the right film for source oh man scorsese to win director like this is the right one not departed and i think there could be that light where we might see that door kind of open, 
But I mean, the technical side has a better chance, I think, than the performancing and the acting. Um, but the, this story had to be told, and I think the right person did it, to say the least. Um, it's it's devastating, but at the same time, it's it's masterful in, in the way it displays evil and how a lot of times it's right in front of us. And if we don't look, where it's going to be too late. And I mean, I want to rewatch it, but it's it's hard to kind of go back to back into that one. Like, I mean, I think Oppenheimer, I was able to go. You know, maybe three days later, I went to go see that again. I, this one, I got to give it a week because or two because of how, you know, crucial it's playing a part of of what is real, I guess, to say the least. And it's it's great to look at. It really is. I mean, it's it's something. It's special. I'll be interested to see what this looks like on rewatch. Again, I want to revisit it as well, but that runtime is challenging. Um, now I'd put myself down for it, but you do need to, you know, I, slot off your afternoon. This weekend, we we had a lot of people come up, and you know, they they buy tickets and they'd ask us, and we'd let them know like the pacing. It's it's brutal. Like I mean, but I mean at the same time, it's a necessary. It's necessary. Like they, you're you're gonna go into it. You know, you want to see it, so you're gonna get the best part of that. And so I think. You know, it's it's a safe drive, a ride to say the least. Absolutely, well, not not truly safe because of what uh, what happens, but we all get the point, right? Um, and then my my last point is, uh, you know, three kind of heavyweights show up in the last hour of this movie: uh, Jesse Plemons, John Lithgow, and Brendan Fraser. Um, and I it was just nice to see them cook. Uh, you know, you're dealing with such horrific atrocities, and then all of a sudden, a character actor shows up, and you're like, yes. My king, um, <laughs> Brendan Fraser. I know some people weren't fans of what he was doing, but uh, I found him very amusing. I mean, a lot of people were talking about how those those scenes should have been cut, and we could have you know saved forty minutes. But at Disagree. the same time, yeah, like we're we're learning a lot more of like the plans that De Niro and DiCaprio were doing, and and like the decision making that was happening on those turns, and and it was necessary to see you know the recovery that Gladstone made, and and that last scene where. No, she's asking Leo and he's just yes. playing it more dumbfoundly and and she just leaves like that hurt like that was a burn yeah. and it really shows you that like this guy was just uh, he I I got nothing because it's it's remarkable that such a interesting you know representation like what Leo did to that that scene could have been fumbled but I don't think it was and it's you then get to the moment where it does the podcasting and you're kind of like I could breathe for a moment and then they tell you what happens to these characters. You're like, fuck, that's, that's insane. It yeah. really is. And I like, you know, obviously sure. It feels long. Um, You know, I, I prepared myself. I emptied all my fluids before going into the movie. You got a big thing of popcorn, a big drink. I was ready. Um, But I like, I could have been there for another hour. Like, I, you know, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm insane, but um, I, I was still, uh, I still had energy after the movie. Thank God, even though it's zapping it from me in real time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I thought this was a masterwork. Um, I'm thrilled to see it again. Hopefully, it gets some awards uh, attention. But we'll see how it goes. At the very least, it's in a like a colossal achievement from one of our best filmmakers. Um, that's for damn sure. Okay, so moving on to our final segment of the pod, uh, we have both constructed our top ten Scorsese movies. Um. Which you know, uh, there might there might be blood spilled over this. I really have no idea. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying uh, I need a rewatch to uh, solidify Killers of the Flower Moon in this top ten. But I think personally, it probably would be in the top ten. But I'm I'm just not putting it in there for right now. Oh um, damn! Because I, right. I I need a rewatch. Let it roll. 
So how do we want to do this? Uh, do we want to go me 10, you 10, 999? Yeah, or do yeah, we... yeah, okay. yeah. We've, I mean, we've already talked about the film, so we can just knock those off. All right. My number 10 is Color of Money. I got Keen of Comedy. You'll love to see it. Uh, my number nine, Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, Casino. Ooh. Number eight, Taxi Driver. Aviator. Number eight, Aviator. You're higher on that than I am, but I respect uh, it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, number seven, Shutter Island. I I have that higher. A Raging Bull for me, number seven. I respect it. Uh, number six, Wolf of Wall Street. I have that very much higher. Uh, <laughs> my number six, I put Killers here because I, I know it's early, but I think um, in terms of what I've already previously mentioned and, and what you said, how you want to at least give it another rewatch, I think it's fair to say you know something so new in the entry is also just at the halfway point. Yeah, 100%. Um, my number five is Goodfellas. I, I like mm. what is there that can't be said, you know? I like it. Uh, my number five is Taxi Driver. I have that one a little higher than you do. That's all right. I just my, I just need to take a shower every time I watch that. <laughs> I, um, you know. Number four, we're going crazy here. Irishman. That's right. I said it. I th- See, I could easily see myself, you know, ca- watching this another time and, and having that jump in my 10. Um, my number four is Shutter Island. I Like I said, one of the best fillers we've had in the last two decades. Absolutely. Uh, number three, Departed. Micro processes. Dude, my number three is Departed as well. I mean, it's fascinating. Soulmates. Soulmates. It's a great movie. <laughs> that is a fact, I, I'm glad that we, you know, top 10 because, you know, the, there's so many films of his that range across so many genres and stories and characters. And we're all going to take something different from him. And I think that's that shows his greatness and his legacy. Yeah. Um, my number two, here's where I go a little crazy. Hugo, all right? I was, yeah, that sounds right, yeah. All right, all right, listen. The movie that got me into movies, I'm giving it a rewatch <laughs> in a week. Yeah. I will not be updating this pod uh, either way. But um, at the moment, that's where we're standing. We're going crazy with it. I love Hugo. So hey, you, you're, you're definitely making me want to watch that a lot sooner. Um, yeah. I I have, my number two is Goodfellas. I, th- I think it, it just makes the most sense. Absolutely. And my number one, Silence, all right? I am your I'm I'm Jesus. Uh, speaking as a stone, that's me. All right. I really you gotta trample. That's I, what you gotta I, do. I definitely respect respect the, the play. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I unfortunately am an open book when it comes to this, and my number one is Wolf of Wall Street. That's fair. Because um, you personally unhealthy- relate to Joan Belker, yeah. right? <laughs> uh I mean you, you show me a check for seventy thousand dollars, I'll quit my job right now for you. It, the quaaludes i mean there's so much stuff we always didn't even, didn't even talk about but like it's it's a it's a great movie and i mean i don't know what it says about you know your number one being silence and my number one being wolf wall street but you know we're here together Late career scorsese is unbelievable yeah. i think that's like mm-hmm. one of the things that i, I said to me in the pod like his late career stuff is just as good as you know his older it, classics it's it's that part of the conversation where you know no one else can direct the movies that he did and if we had to make a list it'd be very hard and there won't be many but at the same time any other director who had a film like this it's like their best like hands down and so that just not many can say that 100 percent. um any final thoughts on scorsese before we close this episode out uh yeah so i I quickly was just going to note that um Scorsese's next film uh that he's going to be reteaming with de Niro or dicaprio is called the wager and it's i've been reading it i have about you know 50 pages in it less and it's it's one another one of those you know stories that you're not surprised 
at who's going to be involved in making it. Um, it's the same writer, David Grant, that just that did um, Killers of the Flower Moon. And he previously had uh, um, another movie that was in you might be more familiar with The Lost City of Z. Mm. Uh, he wrote he wrote that book on that one, but the wager uh it's it's you know a story of a british naval ship that is wrecked on an uh, isolated island and it's about the struggle to survive between the captain and the people on board and you know what the human nature does and and the crime and murder the mutiny that ever, all comes within you know ship terminology and i think it's going to be interesting uh, i hope it does get done i know a lot of times you know people attach themselves to pro- projects and it doesn't happen but um this could be something neat to say the least a little different uh tone because it's set in water and Scorsese hasn't done something like that he might have to call James Cameron I was gonna say Cameron's right there you know to help him out um yeah I mean he's one of our best filmmakers working uh and every film that we get you know it's just it's a treat it really is um you know no matter what he's cooking it's usually something good like none of these movies I'd ever say are bad I'm not an aviator guy but I would never ever call it a bad movie um but yeah he's one of our masters he's one of our greats and, you know, I think we just need to treasure uh, all the movies and time we have left with the guy. So it's it's uh, immortality is obviously doesn't belong to anyone. But if we were to say it does, uh, Scorsese might have that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. If I could lose years off my life and give them to his without a doubt, I'd absolutely do it. Um, but yeah. All right. I think that'll do it for this episode. Brent, thanks so much for coming on, man. Always good. I, I enjoy it. Um, we might have to find another director. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, who's cooking this winter? James Wan? Yeah, let's do Wan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. You don't malignant. want me on the Malignant pod. You don't malignant. want me on that. We're coming back. No. Um, <laughs> we'll definitely have you back on the pod soon. Um, but yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. The review podcast is found anywhere you find your podcast. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you find your podcast. We're there. And we'll see you guys in the next one. See ya.